Hello there, Thunder Buddies and Travelers down Thunder Road. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder Rewatch podcast that nobody asked for, but we did anyway. Uh, I'm your host, your your vagabond, your Sherpa down Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined on the line as I am every week by Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you this week? Not too bad. Um, looking forward to this episode. I thought we ended the last one kind of negatively. Kind I of think so. Looking down on uh, episode four of Thunder. So mm. I'm, ho- I'm hoping this one's a bit better, a bit more positive. Yeah, so much so. So much so was the negativity at the end of that last podcast. Listen to this. That's a bottle of beer, my friend. I've already hit the bottle. <laughs> Five episodes in. Jeez, we'll start, I will be, we'll start calling you Bobby Heenan, so. I will be a functioning alcoholic by the start of 2000 Thunder. Uh, and I have no problem with whatever it takes to get through it. That's what I do for the Thunder Buddies. My sacrifice knows no bounds. Um, yeah, how, how how are you feeling after that? Like, it's, it's kind of, I'm feeling... When I st- sat down to watch episode five, I found it very hard to get up the enthusiasm. Yeah, so I watched episode five with Connor, my mm. son, um, and he was kept, just kept asking, like, who's this, who's this, who's that? But when the big stars came on, he was glued, so yeah, that that kind of, that's how I was into this episode, I was con- see, kind of more watching his reactions. Yeah, you see, there definitely is that kind of element to it, that for the, the kids and the age group that really aren't concerned with everything making sense. And especially at that age where, you know, like kids with the shorter attention spans mm-hmm. that actually five, six minute segments are probably perfect for them. And everything moves fast and is hyperactive and and it's colorful. And, and oh boy, does this show have a lot of segments? Oh, indeed it does. Uh, indeed it does. By my count, somewhere in around 18 segments in less than 90 minutes of actual programming. Uh, so we're averaging about two segments every 10 minutes this week on Thunder. Um... And I guess with that much to trash out, shall we just get on with it? Let's jump in. So, Thunder Episode 5, 5th of February 1998, coming to you from the Beaumont Civic Centre in Beaumont, Texas. Um, Begins by teasing us with the main event that we knew of, um, and that is the, or one of the main events, sorry that we knew of, which is the, the Benoit DDP US title match, but also the Steiners versus NWO members is kind of the way it was put to us. Okay. Um, I think that match has happened on every episode of Thunder so far. It it really feels like it has. Um, We had footage from Nitro of Steiner Family Drama. And uh, my my favorite part of this, so there was kind of a... Steiner's won a match on Monday, but Rick was pissed. Uh, Wasn't it Rick was pissed because Scott didn't tag him in again? Yeah, Scott Um, kind of won on his own. I think he beat Bagwell. Yeah, so they got a bit pissy with each other, and my favourite part of that little replay was Nash in the background trying to egg them on to fight each other. Yeah, the Kevin Nash in the background, like, perfectly in between Scott and Rick yeah. in the shot, punching his own hand, saying, yeah. hit him, hit him! Yeah, <laughs> miming punches. He's that, like, you know when two people have a fight in the schoolyard, and he's just a little snotty kid going, yeah, fucking get him! <laughs> Um, I, I actually the, <laughs> the greatest fight I, this, this feels like you know it's been two weeks since we went back to uh, Dave and Lee's time in school mm-hmm. um, and the greatest fight I ever saw in a school um, so in the kind of 
in the main area where the lockers were in the school it was kind of uh, in the center of the building kind of the the car there was two corridors that kind of went through and it opens out into this big hall and there's kind of lockers on three walls and then the the fourth wall is where like the bar machine and the can machine was so a lot of people would congregate there during a little break or, or during lunch and uh during lunch one day now we went to an all-male school i should point out um there was this little first year whose name i will redact because i'm sure to this day he hasn't lived this down who was standing at his locker as kind of myself my mates and sundry other people were kind of standing around waiting for our cans or waiting for they used to have there was a company that used to come in and do rolls for lunch and stuff like that so you know there's kind of a lot of hubbub going on this kid was at his locker when all of a sudden the place fell silent because in walked a girl from the girls school across the road which was completely unheard of you know lads didn't walk into the the girls school girls didn't walk into the lads school she walks in makes a beeline over towards your man grabs him by the shoulders swings him around and gives him the hardest punt in the balls i have ever seen like if you could if anyone could kick a guy in the balls hard enough that it sounded like a cracked, that would have been the time. And then she shoved his head kind of like into the locker. So the back of his head kind of smashed off the locker and he just completely fell down limp. And she turned around and walked back out of the school. And then, I know this is so off the fucking point, but it just like it's seared so clearly into my head. I can still see this as I'm saying it to you. And kind of like a moment of silence and then slowly everyone's like ah <laughs> the laughter began yeah, the poor little kid. and then at four o'clock so there's kind of there's a church that's in between the guys school and the girls school and everyone all the cool kids and me used to stand around the church wall after school before study and we we're all we we're all standing there and the half of us that were there and saw it happen were in the middle of telling our mates what had happened and when i was like oh look, look there's the guy there's the guy and he was walking out of the school by himself looking very sheepish when off yonder in the distance the girl comes over the bridge oh no and fucking socks him in the jaw oh god to the point where our deputy principal had to get out of his car he was leaving the school and reef her away from him what did he do i to this day i don't know but it, whatever it was it wasn't good jesus like to, yep. to do it twice in one day <laughs> twice in one day twice in the course of like the gap between lunch and the end of school was only about three hours wow that, yeah that's a ballsy girl isn't it anyway that's better built than anything we'll be talking about on on uh, Thunder episode 5 so that, that, you're, you're welcome for that listeners that's much better than the like the best finish I've ever seen in a fight in a school <laughs> yeah I know oh it's, and the fact that it happened twice in one day oh my god <laughs> great stuff anyway <laughs> Uh, we have opening the show the unlikely matchup of Laparca and Hugh Morris. Humorous. Yes, humorous Hugh Morris. Um, and Brian said uh, as he was coming out, there's nothing humorous about this guy in the ring. And to which I thought, I completely agree. <laughs> I find nothing humorous nor entertaining about young William DeMott. Yeah. I, I don't know why he's... Yeah. <laughs> I just I didn't enjoy this like I didn't enjoy Morris in this at all. Um, no, 
and he seemed particularly over which puzzled me yeah and like he was over in it and not only that but he is throwing La Parka around the ring mm-hmm. like, like as if like uh, you would swear there was heat between the two of them the uh, way he was roughing him around I was going to say like he was trying him around like one of his trainees but yeah <laughs> Fucker, you got me with that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Indeed. But yeah, uh, for me to start a match with Parker again, I mean, yeah. the guy is strutting around, doing his dance, playing his air guitar on the on the chair. He just mm, looks like the, coo- the coolest motherfucker in the world. And he has yeah, to do the a WCW job. chairman himself. He has to do a job for Hugh Morris. He has to do a job to Hugh Morris and a shitty fucking moonsault. Which missed he, him by a good distance. Yeah. He moonsaulted and he landed kind of with his forehead on Leparka's knee. And you could tell that he was trying to, it must have hurt him a little bit. He was trying to act like it didn't and he won it. But like it was a complete squash. I was, mm-hmm. I was really surprised. Um, but then obviously as is tradition with the Parker matches he hits him with a chair and dances dances on the chair because uh, that's all you want that, yeah, that, I mean if La Parker isn't going to win that's all I want yeah um, then we have a Goldberg video package kind of like uh, greatest hits of Goldberg and this may be a reach but do you know what this reminded me of <clears throat> go on did you ever watch a show back in the 90s by Chris Morris called The Day Today I've only seen clips. I didn't watch it. Okay. So have you seen the up next John Fashionu thing? No. <laughs> Where it's so it's like a dramatic... I can't do it justice. Like it's a dramatic... It's it's like this dramatic music underbed to clips of like John Fashionu. And he's like... But it's like news stock footage of like him getting out of his car and, and stuff like that. And it's just... <laughs> him, him on Gladiators like... <laughs> yeah. And it's just like a voiceover going, John Fashionu. <laughs> John Fashanu and it cuts back to Chris Morris going that John Fashanu after the break <laughs> and that's just what it reminded me of <laughs> yeah no I hated this video package so much yeah, I, I yeah. think I think I now hate Goldberg <laughs> that's Mr. Goldberg to you <laughs> and it's, it's just it's so jumpy you don't actually see him doing anything except pulling the face yeah um, and then speaking of Mr. Goldberg <laughs> He comes up against his toughest match yet, Jim Powers. Um, and I, like even on the the curve of Goldberg squashes we've seen so far on Thunder, he just annihilates this man, annihilates him. Um, and I can't say this was the worst spear I've seen him do in our run of Thunder. I would still give that honor to Young Mongo. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's 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 decidedly average. Yeah, I'd say. it's just a, it is just basically a spear and a jackhammer match, and then it's like you forget it ever happened. Yeah, um, that's it. like even on the standard of Thunder Jobbers, Jim Powers is pretty fucking low. Like, yeah, I was just like, I was genuinely until his name came up, I was staring at him, going, "Who is this human being? <laughs> what? What is this?" I think wasn't he in a, a short-lived faction with? Was Jim Powers, Alex Wright, and the former Renegade, I think. And basically, their promo package was them topless, oiled up, running on the beach. <laughs> and this was in like 1997 WCW. I don't know why. 
I don't know whether I want to see that or I don't. I don't think I do, but it sounds fabulous all the same. Proper beefcake kind of stuff, like <laughs> big beefy boys. Yeah, go for a run. Um, but it it got to be said though, this is a, like two matches in, and this is a really plodding start to Thunder so far. Mm-hmm. The one thing you can say is that even on the weeks where they just do heavy video packages first, usually it's a bit more of a rip roaring, stay tuned for the program start than this. This feels like they went, hey, we're going to tell you in 30 seconds the good stuff that's coming up. And now, some shite. <laughs> it's like that Monty Python thing, and now this. Yeah, right. And now for something yeah, completely different. Something different yeah. I was thinking of yeah. uh, last week tonight, and now this. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but it's, it's like, on this episode in particular, they looked backstage and went, fuck, we have a hundred and something wrestlers here. We need, yeah. we need to get them all on the show. Yeah, just open the door. Run, run, run. Whatever order you come out in, those are the matches. <laughs> uh, we get uh, your favourite part of the show next. Ah, the Sat- WCW Saturday night yeah. t- uh, tease. And it broke my fucking heart because one of the matches that is uh, teased for this show is Glacier versus the cat. The cool cats have already exploded. <laughs> they needed a run. In a world where... Conan and Buff Bagwell got a run on Thunder for a couple of weeks. The Cool Cats needed a tag title shot. I'm sorry. Is it a martial arts division match? Absolutely. It should. Absolutely. I mean, the, ca- are... the, the cat is in it, so. That is not only a martial arts division match, but the Mortal Kombat music should, in fact, be playing throughout. <laughs> that's, that's actually what they should have done for the martial arts division. They should have consistently just played the Mortal Kombat music or a cheap knockoff of it. I'm sure Jimmy Hart could have knocked something up. It would have been a very Lucha Underground thing to do, actually. That, that, that'd be the kind of match where they just have an underbed of music for no particular reason. <laughs> Sonny Ono um, as Dario Cueto. Yeah, indeed. Um, our next match, which would I, I probably, if these two guys were mobile enough at the time, probably would have been a Lucha Underground match. Billy Kidman and Juventud Guerrera. Um, this is the match where more so than the other matches he's been in I think it was because he was in the, to this point he's been in the ring with like incredibly proficient luchadors this is the match where you really see why Hoovy wasn't at the level of those guys mm-hmm. he's very awkward very botchy in this match and he's and I know Kidman isn't like you know he, he isn't exactly the wily ring vet here uh, and he's not a big enough base for some of the lucha stuff that, mm-hmm. that Hoovy's trying to do. But still, like, I put a lot of this down to Hoovy. Like you said, very botchy. It's so awkward. Everything he does is just slightly sloppy enough that you notice it. Yeah. But not sloppy enough for it to be overly dangerous, I would say. It's just it's just enough to take you out of the match for a minute and go, oh, Jesus, that looked shit. Well, well I, te- but, I tell you, the, the Hoovy driver, he hits on Kidman. Looks pretty mm-hmm. fucking snug. <laughs> yeah. Like, so there's kind of, when I was thinking about his sloppiness here, I was thinking about, you know, like some styles, if you're a little bit sloppy, it actually kind of enhances it a little. So, like, if you're a brawler, mm-hmm. like, if you're, say, like a Dan Severn when he was in the grapples, uh, or a Ken Shamrock, and you're coming out and your whole thing is that, like, you're a shoot fighter who fucks people up. Being a bit sloppy there makes sense, because it's like, he, he he shouldn't be crisp like a pro wrestler. Or I suppose the best contemporary example is probably Ronda Rousey. Yeah. Like, her stuff isn't the kind of cooperatively snug stuff you expect from someone who's been doing it for ten years, you know? 
um but all the same it, it it adds there's that level of kind of rough around the edges to her matches that actually enhances it for me like i was really into her match with sasha at the rumble because it 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 did it didn't feel like two people kind of cooperating in a match it felt like a struggle and a fight you know yeah, I, I know, I think it's Rich on The Voice of Wrestling always makes a point of with Sasha and Charlotte, when their matches are sloppy, they're better because yeah. it feels like they have that kind of like, they hate each other so much that they don't do things perfectly. Yeah, yeah, and it's why a lot of people I think like Sasha's style generally is that... It's a bit manic. It's it's manic, it's, it's fucking wild mm. and, you know people used to call her unsafe but at a certain point it's like well she hasn't like you know there's been a couple of people injured in matches she's been in but none of it has ever been her fault Mm -hmm. and she hasn't kind of seriously injured herself doing any of that stuff like when she's injured herself it's been on kind of the kind of freak things that wrestlers just injure themselves on you know like mm-hmm. the classic example of like rvd doing all his crazy stuff but breaking his leg on a baseball slide drop kick and, and yeah. stuff like that oh it's, so it's, like, it's, that, it's that, always that, stuff like that 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 happens like you'll have the wildest wrestlers who will get hurt doing as you say like a baseball slide yeah anyway like back on point here yeah the the hoovy driver looked snug as hell on this um Kidman wins via his shooting star press, which I remember at the time. So the very, he would have been the very first person by quite a few years that I saw do the shooting star press, especially mm-hmm. on the regular. Same, same as yourself, yeah. And I thought this was the greatest move of all time mm-hmm. uh, at the time. Just absolutely spectacular. And has nothing to do with the fact that, like, you know, when we were kids, we used to do a bit of backyard wrestling whenever there was, like, a bouncy castle in for a Holy Communion and stuff like that. So we used to try and do all sorts of flips. And that was the one that none of us could ever do. None of us could ever even, like, we'd all just end up doing a seated senton. <laughs> you know, couldn't get the backflip going while propelling yourself forward. Yeah, the, um, the, the thoughts of rotating myself in that fashion is is terrifying to me. <laughs> yeah, like, I could do, like, you know, me and my mates, we could do, like, swantons and things like that. Because mm-hmm. it's basically just a somersault. You're kind of halfway over by the time you come off the, we used to have kind of a ladder that was right on the outside of the wall of the bouncy castle mm-hmm. so we'd have a stable thing to jump off so you could do a, a swanton easy enough um like elbows and things like that but yeah the shooting star press because it like with a lot of things because it's a thing you physically couldn't do yourself it was inherently more impressive and it's only now in the kind of well not even just now i'd say by the mid 2000s when i'm kind of intri- like introduced to some real like the next generation of high flyers after him where i'm like wow that shooting star press is shite yeah the the one that always got me was uh i think it was paul london showed up on smackdown and he was actually mm. teaming with kidman and mm. he started doing the shooting star press and i went oh oh that's what i can be like <laughs> yeah yeah and I, this was that that was even before i would have seen matt Seidel do it yeah or... god yeah do you know what I mean? There's so many people that do very... Even fucking... I remember the first time I saw... Not the one where he nearly killed himself... But the footage of Brock doing it... When he could do it in OVW... Mm-hmm. When he had... The, he had a little schmig, didn't he? At the time. I think he did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like, just a man that size doing it... And so much more... Imp- even the one he missed was so much more impressive than any of Kidman's... Because Kidman is kind of like... He steps forward and falls. Yeah. And I suppose the most impressive element of it is just he just barely gets enough rotation to not land on his head every time except that one time he killed Chavo Guerrero <laughs> yeah yeah except the one time was he, his army broke or something I 
didn't he land with his like his knee and his face or something he proper fucked him up I remember that because that played into a storyline then wasn't it that he was afraid of doing it because he was was, unsafe yeah yeah Um, but anyway this he wins via like middling suit and star press Um, we move on then to DDP is with Tanay once again a brilliant promo Uh, talks about Benoit puts again you go through the list he puts over Benoit puts over the fans put over the belt put over himself um, this is how it's done it's such a fucking simple story for this match is like I'm this belt tells you I am great that I am a main eventer I think you deserve a shot at this even though no one else does you think you're better than me I think I'm better than you let's fucking fight it, it's so simple and he builds Benoit up so well yeah like it's like, like they, they, by the end of this, I am like I already was in prospect excited for this match, but by the end of this promo, I'm like, give me this match right now. Oh yeah, I, I was dying to get to the main event. Like once DDP was finished here, I was like, oh, okay, I want to see this match, and I actually yeah. watched the whole show, show through one sitting, and yeah. I don't think I would have if this promo wasn't on the show. Like, um, yeah. he it's it's just so simple, like putting yeah. over Benoit like that as this big deal, and he's going to be the first guy. To really test Benoit. Yeah. One of the things that, like, I think, do you know, he's one of the greatest promos, one of the greatest stars in history. But one of the things I think, like, The Rock got tragically wrong a lot of the time was that he would absolutely mow down people he was putting promos against. And even though they were very entertaining promos, like, particularly the back end of his first run and then when he would come back years later, he wasn't giving you. What, like he wasn't putting over the other guy he was just mm-hmm. kind of making fun of them like, you know the fruity pebbles stuff with Cena kind of like really overwhelmed anything else he would say about Cena he tried to get people chanting cookie puss at CM Punk and mm-hmm. stuff like that I'll never forget the one where he comes back in the for SummerSlam 01 and just completely completely cut the balls off Booker T with the who in the blue hell are you like oh, not even yes, knowing who yes, he was yeah, yeah I remember that actually yes and like this is Booker T who like really should have been your this is the main guy you know in the invasion and you wouldn't have needed necessarily Stone Cold to go with uh, let's not talk about the invasion because yeah, we'll... we could be here yeah. all night um, but yeah th- this promo absolutely fantastic uh, moving over, we you know what we've we've missed them the last two weeks, but the Luchadors are back in force on this show. We've got Viano Four, Viano Five, and Silver King versus Super Colo, Lizmark Junior, and Chavo. Um, a couple of observations on this match. Um, I I think it's fair to say, Lee, that uh, five of these men are on one level, and Lizmark Junior is just a level above the rest of them. <laughs> See, I was going to say five of them were on one level and Chavo was on the next level below them. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, you could say it's like a three-tiered system. Um, but yeah, no, Lismark is so good. He's so, like, with the exception of one spot uh, where I worried about him, um, he just, uh, he's on time for everything. Mm-hmm. He's kind of, he's sharper. He's He moves better than everybody. His kind of sense of awareness in the ring is is, is on another level from the rest of them. Um, he, he just lo- looks constantly in control of everything he was doing mm. and I just I don't know why he wasn't getting more of a push what like the couple of times we've yeah. seen him yeah I know um, and as you say travel the level below but I, I don't know if that's necessarily down to 
him not being good or it's more the fact that even though he's lumped in with the luchadors a lot in terms of his style it's very american yeah he, and i mean you know, he, so he just sticks he, out like a sore thumb he's still very green at this point so i am being a bit harsh like you can see he has improved since i think it's the first episode he was in a multi-man mm-hmm. um and he has improved in those couple of weeks. Obviously, he's been working house shows and TV, like, worldwide tapings and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, he's the one getting the kind of push into a feud off of this mm. match, which puzzles me, but, you know. There you are. <laughs> uh, he's just there. Um, weird moment in this match where Lismark hits Super Kolo with a super kick. And there's like Super Kolo pauses for like a half second, maybe in a full second before he takes the bump. It's like he makes connection. The pain registers, the pain travels up to his brain. Oh, yes, mm-hmm. I am in, I am sore. Boom. Down, yeah. Yeah, bizarre. I, I, um, I didn't like his uh, his terrifying dive over the top onto... Oh, uh, it was, yeah, Lismark onto Kalo, wasn't it? Uh, was it Silver King? Oh yeah, yeah. Was, um, sorry, he goes to do the Undertaker dive, basically. Yeah, except he does the Undertaker dive where the Undertaker nearly broke his neck. <laughs> yeah, he does the Undertaker WrestleMania twenty five dive. Yeah, and he like he goes neck first into Silver King. Yeah, and crumples up. Oh, it was it was bad. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. So Kos is coming out because apparently because him and Chavo have beef, and he attacks Chavo, and Silver King picks up the victory. Uh, the one thing I did like was Psychosis is really cool white and black attire yeah he looks the part that's he, for sure he looked like a star like yeah um, flashback to Nitro again um, I, I more of the kind of the, the, the drama that's been going on with the NWO there's, there's one point in the segment with like Nash and Hogan and all this where I go do you know what Virgil or Vincent is the smartest man in the business because he deliberately and I, you know, you could say maybe it's just coincidence. Knowing this man, it is deliberate. He positions himself over Hogan's shoulder because he knows that every close-up of Hogan, he is going to be in. He's constantly in shock. He is in yeah. nearly every single shot of Hogan you it's, see, Vincent. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, you know, he's not, but just the, like... In terms of this man has his fucking head screwed on right, like he knows what he's doing in this context, just to fucking get a little bit of that shine off the boss. Um, we actually missed that moment in the the last episode. I meant to mention in that promo where, um, where uh, Hogan calls Conan K Dog. He also calls Vincent Vince. He does actually. Yes, that's right. Yeah, which I very much enjoyed. Um, my one problem with this recap and it goes into the, the next part of the recap they did Savage versus Sting on Nitro why would they yeah. do that why that's a pay-per-view match that's a fucking mega show match yeah it really is like 1998 Randy Savage versus the hottest wrestler in fucking WCW in Sting on Who Nitro really at this point shouldn't be wrestling on TV still oh god no he looks awful by the way yeah you, you should be paying to see Sting and Hogan interfered because Savage had Sting beaten. Yeah. Now, that, you see, that part, I kind of, like, I get that, you know? Like, you know, uh, oh, I, I always I always like that idea of you can't hack the other person beating them, so you have to interfere and stop it. Oh, no, I get that. Like, Hulk Hogan yeah. is the 98 version of David Starr. Yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's your comparison for the week. I, I, I understand that part. 
but I don't understand why Savage had the guy that's going to win the world title for the second time in the two months beaten on Nitro in a fucking yeah. throwaway match and, oh, yeah. and they wonder how things went so badly wrong they had Steen yeah. fucking beaten yep. on Nitro yep what a company um, so yeah in this backlash as well like uh, so Lex's denim vest comes out um, <laughs> looking very much like he's heading to a square dance uh, lays out Savage and Hogan kind of just allowed it um, and then he, he acts terrified of Sting which he should be hmm. Sting takes out the whole NWO minus Savage on his own yeah. um, your favourites are up next as Buff and Conan accompanied by Vincent Dusty and Scott Hall are going to take on the Steiners um, Dusty replaces Lee Marshall on commentary kicks him off the commentary table which to this point in Nitro is the biggest heel move the NWO have made not only in getting rid of Lee Marshall off commentary but in adding Dusty Rhodes to it so <laughs> ugh. now I know you're the low man by some distance on Buff and Conan as a tag team but I think this little spot to kick things off was very cool uh, little, little clever idea they hid either side of the stage until the Steiners came out with Ted DiBiase and they ran out and attacked them I did like the spot because it's yeah. it's good little innovative so what I didn't like is that Bagwell was about a good 10 seconds ahead of Conan yeah because I think Conan got lost behind a fucking set <laughs> probably fell asleep <laughs> Jesus <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah uh, I don't know all, all I have noted here is that they said Bagwell versus Scotty was happening at Super Bowl yeah which I def- guess. definitely doesn't happen um, Rick flexes at Buff and Buff is so offended like you'd swear he just brought Judy Bagwell's name into disrepute that's how upset he was <laughs> that Rick how dare you flex at me brilliant the face on him Dust, Dusty like ca- a slapped arse Dusty calls Buff the buffer yeah this is I wrote this down the single line of commentary I remember from Dusty in this nobody got a body like the buffer baby <laughs> it's, it's great stuff so we had the hacker and now we've had the buffer the buffer and the hacker uh, Vincent tries to interfere uh, Ted pulls him down off the apron this was an interest. This is such a fucking weird ending to this match. There's a couple of weird finishes in this match. So yeah, as I said, uh, Vincent comes onto the apron. Ted grabs him. Uh, Scott tries to interfere and Rick decks him, but Robinson rings the bell before the actual DQ. So I think the DQ wasn't the spot where he decked him off the ropes. I think it was supposed to be where he pushes, where he pushes Rick, Rick off. off the top rope into Scott. Should have been the, yeah. the DQ, but for some reason, Robinson missed the missed the cue. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of refs missing finishes on this, uh, and that yeah, that was kind of I w- I had to rewind it because like did did I miss Scott hitting him or did the camera miss Scott hitting him? Nope. <laughs> I loved uh, Scott Hall pushes Rick off the top rope into Scotty's back when he yeah. he's lifting up uh, Conan for the the bulldog the Steiner bulldog, mm. uh, and Scott sells Rick bumping into him like fucking debt. He's like, yeah. oh, my, my back like somebody hit me in the back I didn't know who it was yeah. like Superman being shot with kryptonite bullets is how he fucking sells it it's amazing and he's so annoyed that he nudged him in the back uh, 
then we have Janetti versus Raven. Uh, Janetti again in his Jazzercise gear. Hang on, did that, um, that match happened last week, didn't it? It did, yeah. It also happened this week. Uh, <laughs> I'm just looking, I'm making sure I do have notes for. Yeah. And the fact that he was in the exact same gear as well did give me the same pause for thought. Um, but yeah, this one was a surprisingly back and forth affair. Uh, I, I feel like given who these two men were at the time one was Marty Gennetti and the other guy was the head of a faction that at least nominally was getting a push um, they were at least I getting think, a thunder push anyway yeah I think Raven gave him way too much of this match mm-hmm. um, before again winning with the even flow DDT which again looks fantastic oh yeah it's this one where Marty's gone for the rocker dropper and in one fluid motion they go into the even flow and it just yeah. it looks so cool yeah, really cool finish. Really cool finish. The best part of the match, though, was Janetti lays out Lodi in the first, I want to say, 10, 15 seconds of the match with a super kick in the oil. Mm-hmm. And a good five minutes later, the action spills to the outside, and in the background, you see Lodi still starfished in the oil. It's a hell of a super kick, my friend. <laughs> it's a hell of a super kick. Uh, I believe after this, then, we have a giant video package. It's a, and... it's a giant versus Kevin Nash video package. Yeah, so they had stressed a couple of times that like, oh, we've heard updates on Rey Mysterio's knee and about how that is, but we haven't even heard about what what the update on the giant is. It must be really bad. And then in that context, this video package really made it seem like he died. <laughs> Didn't it? Didn't it seem like an in-memoriam video? I was just about to say that. It really did come across like it was in black and white. It had the kind of slow music. Yeah. It was like a best of the giant. Yeah. It was either going to be R.I.P. the giant or it was going to be like the giant died on his way home to his home planet or some shit like that. <laughs> it's really fucking disconcerting. <laughs> Even though I know he didn't die, I was still like, what the fuck? And then you see Kevin Nash showing up in a... Yeah. Oh, Kevin Nash. <laughs> then we have the, the, the excellent combination, I guess, of Disco and Perry Saturn. And boy, is this the match where, like, I've been burying Disco left, right, and center since we started this. And boy, is this the show where I feel vindicated. Yeah. Because he is fucking all over the place in this match. I hated this match. God, this was so, so it's bad. It's super bad. And it felt like it went but, so long. It went, Yeah, it felt like it went so long. I had, uh, I had another one of my flights of fancy in this where I was like, WCW is really like a comic book universe. I'll explain to you what I mean here. So, I've noticed this about WCW, and I suppose it's the curse of being the number two company. Like, they're the number one at this stage, but being kind of like having another major company that you're kind of competing with, you're trying to slag off, but you're also trying to ignore at the same time. Uh, So, much like a comic book universe, other continuities, that being the WWF in this case, don't exist unless it suits them. Okay. So... We had several weeks we were building up to the, the Bret Hart flair match. They outright mentioned how many times Bret Hart was World Wrestling Federation champion and that he'd come over and that he'd been screwed and that that was all playing into that match. So lots of references to the Fed. Lots of times when old Fed guys would come over there'd be references to the Fed. But at the same time, even though in certain ways they acknowledge that these other things exist, at the same time they act like Disco Inferno invented the chart buster <laughs> and that no other person does a move as stunning as this. Good choice of words, sir. Indeed, indeed. 
so I just find that very funny. It's you know you, know, you get these comic book movies where they act like comic books don't exist in the universe. It's just very odd. Jeez, I've, that, I've never actually thought about that. Yeah, like you know, you get these like Batman. Other comic books don't exist in in Batman sometimes, or and then sometimes they do when it's useful as a narrative device and and things like that. Um. So yeah, it's it's just one of those weird little wrestling things. It's like, what do we do to refer to it, but not refer to it too much? We don't want to give Steve Austin credit, especially because we fucking fired him. What a bunch of idiots. Um. But yeah, that's that's how boring this match is that I started thinking about like comic book continuity. <laughs> um so here's the other horrible finish. Um partly down to a referee and partly down to disco. But before we get to the finish, I'm surprised you didn't bring the part where uh disco tries to leapfrog over Saturn in the corner. Um mm. we've we've all seen it, you know, a guy gets whipped into the corner grabs the top rope, leapfrogs oh, up, yeah. the other guy follows in. Uh, except in this case, Disco does that. He does the leapfrog up, except he can't get over Saturn. Yeah. And he tries to readjust and go over the top rope, except he can't quite manage that and crotches himself. <laughs> yep. What an athlete. <laughs> ah, it, it, it um, was so bad. So the finish comes when Kidman comes in and he pushes Perry... <clears throat> onto Disco Inferno who is lying face down mm-hmm. face down I stress even with him face down the referee starts to count the pin even though that does not constitute a valid pinfall Perry basically audibly tells him to stop fucking counting he, I think I believe he screams no no <laughs> yeah the two of them being Perry and Disco panic for a second and then Perry, being a proficient professional wrestler, realises, oh, he's in perfect position, I'll just lock in the rings of Saturn. And he immediately taps him out. Um, and then Booker is just out and attacks Perry Saturn. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it didn't make any sense. Uh, I know they've had this thing kind of a couple of weeks ago and Martel was involved and it, it's all just a bit haphazard, I think. No. Mm. Um, Kenny Powers is out again from a, a break filming East Bend and Down uh, Nick Patrick he's here full gear again and two weeks in a row finally Tony has realised and buries him for wearing his gear even though he's suspended um, in this promo he basically just rehashes exactly what he said the previous week uh, but he says that there was kind of I haven't so he goes first he says on Nitro this is his tease you will see Nick Patrick in full gear to which I thought I already can <laughs> you're in full gear right now you twerp uh, but then he he points out that he's getting reinstated Tanay is perplexed and he said I was never tried for what happened like like he's which, a war criminal yeah this is is there some sort of referee's version of The Hague <laughs> and if so, if so why is this not a television show I want to see, like, dramatic CSI-style footage of a team of referee law enforcement officials looking over, like, like video analysis of cadence. Like, you know, like the dubious goals panel in football or something. Okay, I, I want five referees on this this committee. Who, yeah. who are we putting on the committee? Hebner, I guess. The two of them? Yeah, if you're going, because this is like, this will be like a FIFA kind of thing, so it's an overarching... So you got to have Hebner on there. Okay. Uh, 
I would say Nate, but he little, little Nate, but he's after fucking a couple of calls here in the last couple of weeks, <laughs> so probably not him. Uh, Kyoto's on there. Oh, Kyoto has to be on it, yeah. Uh, Jack, Jack Down, maybe Jack Down. Uh, Tim White, if he can like not kill himself in a skit for five minutes. <laughs> well, I mean, if I had to be around Josh Matthews that much as well, I would. <laughs> um, Tim White, uh, and then maybe just just to crow a cat amongst the pigeons, like um, Sean Michaels in his uncomfortably tight referee Jesus. gear. Jesus. <laughs> Almost a Triple H called nothing the smuggled banana shorts. Yeah. Uh, what a dickhead. <laughs> love him. I love that you'd um, say, say that and just follow it. I love him. Yeah, I love him. Greatest of all time. But what a cock of a man. Like, just awful human being. Anyway. Um, yeah, I, I just love that idea of like just a team of referees analysing video footage. Maybe they've got like a table of metronomes laid out to see, like to be able to count the rhythm and the cadence of his of his fast count or not. Ah, just, oh, it'd be great stuff. So he's reinstated apparently and we're still kind of being threatened with the idea of him refing the rematch. What, what did you think of the uh, ads that followed this segment? I'm sure this was like a contracted version of an actual full ad that must have had copyrighted footage from a movie that they can't show on the network. But yeah, the the night of movies on TBS called Movies for Guys Who Like Movies. And they mentioned uh, the Blues Brothers, I think. Yeah. Was, was the one they brought up. I like, again, the, the brain did the shtick of like, he didn't even know the last time he saw a movie. <laughs> I think he mentioned the, the Bridges of Madison County. <laughs> the Bridges of Madison County, Shane... Uh, yeah, that was just <laughs> brain just trying to pop himself with obscure references. I, I very much enjoyed. I also like the idea of uh, kind of this is movies for guys who like movies, as if they were there was a possibility they were going to put on movies for guys who hate movies. Um, <laughs> Michael alone, like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hasn't seen any films. Has hate hashtag hate films, man. Um, next we have Scott Hall uh, with Louis coming out and Louis is his caddy holding his belts his three belts so there's the two tag team belts I don't know why he has both of them and the fake tag team belt that he bought at that jeweler I go to why, do, um, why does he still have the, tag team, the fake tag team belt if he is the tag team champion fucking no man I suppose he probably paid a pretty penny for it at the jewellers he wants to get his money's worth and I don't think they're a fake belt I think it's just the old WCW tag belt yeah, that's probably what it actually is. I'm pretty sure he that, definitely uh, said he picked it up. Maybe I'm pretty sure that's, that's what like, it is. Like <laughs> maybe like when when Crockett folded and stuff like that, they just started like you know they were stripping assets and pawned off some shit. Who knows? Um, I I did like that they referred to Spicoli as the Stooge. Yeah, Stooge is being used a lot on this program because that was what Perry Sarton was calling Rick Martel when he kept attacking him. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, I see. Mm. I was thinking like this was. February ninety eight. So was this? Bef- it would have been before we had Patterson and Briscoe as the Stooges, as the Stooges, yeah. Um, and we had DDP being referred to as the People's Champ last yeah. week. So I'm just wondering Indeed, how how much did the Fed rip off? Yeah, to make you think, wouldn't it? That's for sure. Um, so this time he does the survey, and interestingly, for the first time probably since the program started, it seemed like the NWO got more booze than cheers. Yeah, they, they definitely did. Like there was a lot of WCW fans in Beaumont, Texas, apparently. Yeah. Um. So 
I guess in not every territory, not every arena, the NWO or the Big Cool guys, they they really like their WCW here in Beaumont, Texas. Um, what do we got here? So yeah, he last week he said he was coming after JJ and Piper, and now this week he's turned tack again and says he's dumb and doesn't understand why he isn't getting a shot. <laughs> So this is a hell of a way to come after WCW management by going, I don't understand what's going on. And apparently I'm dumb according to everyone that knows me. Yeah. We're getting Outsiders versus Steiners for Nitro. Again, should be a pay-per-view match. Um, but hey, this is like, again, this is Bischoff like routinely gives away marquee matches on Nitro to pop a rating. Uh, instead of waiting for pay-per-views, that makes sense. I thought this was kind of the end, they were just coming out for a promo, but oh boy, we got we got a treat of Louis Spicoli versus Jim the Anvil Neidhart. <laughs> Before the interview segment ends, he just turns yeah. to, Spico- to Spicoli and, mm. and says, are you still taking all my commitments from me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that was it. It was supposed to be Scott versus Anvil, and he's just basically not arsed. <laughs> and he just goes, oh, you got the Anvil next. <laughs> takes on uh, Jim the Apple Niver and Jesus it had never occurred to me before because um, usually when you see him in promos and stuff he's wearing sunglasses but uh, Jim the Anvil Neidhart looks a lot like he could be Joe Coffey's dad <laughs> hadn't actually thought about it before um, but yeah <laughs> and you know Joe Coffey should be so lucky I actually haven't seen him since he bored me to fucking tears and that it managed to make a Pete Dunne match boring to me. Well, do, do you know what? Uh, if, if Jim was his dad, Natalia would still be the best wrestler in the family. Yes, this is true. This is true. <laughs> um, the match lasts, I would say, a minute, maybe less. And it's probably still too long. Yeah, before Scott comes in and attacks him. Then all of a sudden, the British Bulldog ran out dressed like Steve Blackman. <laughs> um, our, our, first, to, our first sighting of the Bulldog. Indeed, to make the save for uh, Nightheart. And then, oh boy, out comes Mongo. Uh, and he's kind of, he takes an age. He wants to, is it Scott he's going to punch? Or who is it he's going to punch? Bulldog. He's attacking Bulldog. Bulldog, sorry, yes. That's right, yes. He wants sorry. to hit him with a, his Super Bowl ring for some reason. Yeah, and he takes fucking ages to try and position his Super Bowl ring, which presumably he should have just been wearing in the correct position when he ran out. But takes an age to uh, try and position it in place. Uh, when Mongo goes to the outside then and he's retreating he keeps like side-eyeing the camera to check when he's close enough to start shouting yeah uh, t- what a pro like Mongo 1998 Mongo versus 1998 British Bulldog yeah that's not really it's not really selling out an arena anywhere in the country is it, it that, that I, I'm assuming that's a match we're going to get on Thunder <laughs> I don't think it's going to be pretty so uh, we're coming to the main event now and uh, we've slagged off before how kind of around the time of the main event on Thunder they just kind of like let off all the pyro they have left Yep. and they let off a preposterous amount of pyro here to the point where already five episodes in and Brain is burying the idea <laughs> of all this pyro saying things like we're at war here Tony <laughs> and this is Thunder live from Iran <laughs> Oh, I love him so much. Uh, my little bit of sign watching for the crowd as the the guys came to the ring for this main event, which was Benoit versus DDP for the US title. Uh, we had uh, a guy with a sign that I think was some sort of joke or reference that I did not get, but it was Benoit belt tonight BBT. 
don't get it. Uh, and then one that had made itself kind of prominent in the last hour of the show, I had noticed one that just said Trailer Park Militia. Also, I got nothing. That that Trailer Park Militia was visible for a lot of the show on the hair yeah. camera. And it was a that, big, big sign. Big fucking like four or five people wide size. Like I think the I think I said Ben was belt tonight, as in he's going to win the belt tonight. I never saw the apostrophe S. So I was like, is this some sort of, are they, is there some sort of like advertising slogan that sounds similar to Benoit Beltenay and that's, they're doing that? I, I, I got nothing. Um, but anyway. Maybe they were advertising BLT sandwiches somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, this feels like the, I, I, you, maybe you'll disagree with me. Please feel free. This feels like the first Thunder main event. Like as they're coming to the ring and as they're sizing each other up, this feels like the first first Thunder main event that has like a big fight feel. Oh yeah, th- this feels like the first one that they actually mentioned on Nitro. Like, yeah, um, um, I I loved the beginning of this. Yeah, they just so they stare each other down, and it goes to a commercial break, and it comes back from the commercial break, and Tony is like, "You're not going to believe this," but they spent the whole commercial break staring each other down. The referee rang the bell twice. And they just kept staring at each other. And they're kind of like, it's so intense. And it's like the respect these two men have that they don't want to go for each other. So it's pretty, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. A very uh, unique, I thought. Like, yeah. you, it's not often you got something like that during the Monday Night Wars era of wrestling. Yeah. Like where the guys would just take their time and like really kind of play up the the significance of the match. Yeah. And this is the thing, right? So the commentary this is i made a note we've talked about it a bit and i think maybe it's because we're going back with 2019 eyes where like the standards have dropped so low but i fucking love this three-man commentary team and like i know there's a certain amount in some matches where they're talking about we we talked in the pay-per-view about how after the dusty roads betrayal thing they laid on a bit thick and they were kind of ignoring the next match but generally speaking they kind of get the superfluous stuff out of the way very early in a match and then they really knuckle down and tell the story of a match which I like is what commentary is supposed to be for mm-hmm. you know like the, there was a couple of matches earlier in the show I, I took note of they were talking all about Hogan and Savage and the NWO and whatever happened on Nitro but then something will happen in the match and then that's it they, they will just concentrate solely on the match yeah. until they finish the match yeah, so they're kind of like they're weighing up the two lads' credentials against each other. They're talking about how, you know, the two of them might have two of the most devastating finishes in in WCW at the time. Brain breaks down, or either Brain or Lee, one of them breaks down exactly why each move is devastating, you know, and, and which is the more likely to come out on top here. Really fucking good stuff, mm-hmm. as well as like not only giving you the context about why you should care about the match, but also explaining to you what you're seeing as you're seeing it. You know, I think we referenced it before on the show, the, the Stan Lee idea that, you know, everybody's... Uh, like every comic book is someone's first comic book oh yeah so if you'd never seen either of these men before in your life about 45 seconds into this match you knew why it was a big deal and you were into it and and I mean a big part is hearing like you, like hearing the commentators be into what's going on and they're into these yeah. two guys and, and, yeah. and but in, in a way that's genuine and not like a way that you know I hate to throw him under a bus after praising him but within two years Tony Schiavone has lost all credibility oh yeah like he, he doesn't care like he'll just say anything and yeah but like he, he doesn't find the, the shorthand like the likes of a um, 
the likes of a JR had the bowling shoe ugly and a couple of other lines that let you know that, you know, was kind of code for this ain't going to be good. Yeah, but I'll call it anyway. But like... Yeah, as we always... As I think you slagged him off for, like, eventually on WCW, every night was the biggest night in the history of our sport. Yeah, I mean, they're even billing at this stage Super Brawl as the biggest show ever and the biggest rematch ever. And they keep saying the biggest rematch in the history of sports. Yeah. Um, but like yeah, look but they were, I thought I agree with you they, they were great especially during this match yeah just like just proper top of their game explaining the stuff around the edges and exactly what was happening it, it, it it's a textbook kind of if you were going to start doing commentary and wrestling like sit down and listen to the way they called this match while it lasted um, I, I mentioned at the start of the show that when I watched this show Connor was in the room with me and, yeah. and I couldn't help but notice that when DDP came out and you see the fans do the diamond sign yeah and be up on their feet and whatever Connor did the very same thing did he? he oh that's cool and he he was very much into whatever Paige was doing yeah, um, that's interesting. Because he thinks he, he well, the little bit of knowledge he has, he thinks that Paige is a big deal. Now, yeah. I haven't personally like been shown him fucking DDP matches, mm. <laughs> but obviously from whatever he's watched himself, Diamond Dallas Page is a big deal. Yeah, hey, DDP getting the rub from a former IWGP Junior Heavyweight <laughs> Champion there, the big dog. Um. That's awesome. And and that is like, it's a thing where DDP over the last two weeks on this show has been established such that if he was WCW world champion at this point, it would seem right. Do you know what I mean? Like he is put forward as the biggest star on both of those shows, I would say. Oh, it's like at this point, like I think we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago for Booker, like how they weren't going with these fresh guys that are super over. Yeah. And like, it, this is early 98 this is still the peak mm. yeah and it's like it, it. as this match plays out the WCW of it all comes into play mm-hmm. because so first it starts with Lodi runs by and I found that kind of funny because Tony is shocked and like who's that running past but the flock have literally been there almost the whole show they, they've been sitting in the front row the whole show yeah. they've been sitting in the front row the whole show and Lodi has been up and down with the signs like it should be the least surprising thing in the world that he's run past but anyway, um, Lodi runs past, uh, even though he and the flock have been there all night. Uh, the flock runs in for the DQ, and that's pretty much the end of the show then. And that, like, this was the first time, and this is kind of like, I hate to leave things on a bum note before we go in, uh, before we take our break for our next set of recordings. But at the end of episode five here, this was the first time I actually got annoyed. Um, like there are little I, I've said before on the show there are little niggly things here or there but the segments never really last long enough for you to stay mad at something but this was the first time they'd kind of built a match for Thunder over more than one show and they did such a good job building it up over the two shows and they don't even deliver properly on it like we couldn't even get a, a nice long match before the DQ it was kind of a couple of minutes of good stuff and then just a fuck finish. And it was really fucking disappointing. Yeah. I, um, I was... I don't think I was... I wasn't annoyed. But I was disappointed that... Like, I... 
I paused this show just before the entrances and I yeah. couldn't help but notice there was only like eight minutes left on the runtime. Yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, that's so like it's so disheartening considering the way they've built the match. Yeah. And yeah, like the a clean finish here, like a clean win for Paige wasn't gonna kill Benoit. No. You know, it um it, it, like, you could have told so many stories about like Benoit coming this close and you know next time he'll get closer or, or if they want to do it like have Raven who had been screaming Benoit's name earlier on during his own yeah. match have him come in give him an, an right, even as vote. he's about to beat him yeah like, like, you, yeah, you could have um, like him distract the ref as DDP visually taps which gives you the story of being able to come back to that eventually mm-hmm. and like he could have done any number of things except what they did and I, I think that's a thing that unfortunately is going to become a re- recurring theme as we go on is just WCW's point blank refusal to give you a proper finish to something you're invested in yeah um, it, which I really don't it's, like it's hard not to be disheartened after it like um, yeah. and like I said at certain I want to be positive but this this yeah. show just had so much shit thrown at the wall um, yeah. like Louis Spicoli and Jim Neidhart that's not a match that should be happening in 1998 like that should barely be happening on Saturday night yeah you know what I mean um, like Disco and Saturn was such a bad match um, mm. like the Nick Patrick interview like you said was the same interview from last week Janetti Gen- yeah. versus Raven was a rematch from last week yeah uh, it's something that WWE gets lambasted for now which is just having the same singles matches happening and doing no finishes mm-hmm. um and you'd think that it's it's 20 years on from when a company kept doing that to the point it went out of business and you'd think that at least a con- conscious effort would be made to at least sometimes give a finish or sometimes avoid having fuck finishes all the time but here we are I guess mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, anyway um, that's episode 5 I guess uh, of Thunder in the Bag uh, give me your winners and losers of this week's show <sighs> big winner um, I'm going to say Goldberg uh, he, yeah. he he's the only one that really comes out of the show with some momentum yeah um, like D, uh, like you could say DDP because of the, the really good promo but I, that main event just left such a, a sour taste yeah. it's hard to say he comes out of it with any great credit mm. um, what about you who have you got as the winner so I, I am probably going to say DDP just because I don't think the reasons why like it, I'm left with a sour taste in my mouth isn't because of him because he did a tremendous job on the promo as we said mm-hmm. he did a tremendous job putting Benoit over and uh, carrying himself into this match like an absolute superstar um, and I think it, it plays into who my loser is why uh, I'm not feeling better about the show because I think my loser is WCW booking and I don't think that's going to be the last time I say that yeah uh, like there was so much bad stuff but there wasn't a clear cut like one person was the worst on the show and yeah. the one person I felt bad for on the show wasn't actually on the show and that's Bret Hart because he has to share his t- entrance music with Jim Neidhart mm. <laughs> and if that doesn't tell you about his standing in the company nothing else will yeah, I know, right? Um, um, and again, I mentioned it on the show two weeks ago. On this show, there was no Ric Flair, no Hulk Hogan, no Randy Savage, no Kevin Nash, no Brett, no Bischoff, no Piper. 
no Jericho either it's, actually at Cruiserweight Champ yeah it's wild isn't it like it's already you're getting the feeling that this is already becoming the B show and it's what, um, what could we say five weeks in this is the fifth episode so it's already the B show and it's about to careen off a cliff into the bad <laughs> B show and I believe it was around episode six that uh, Aaron Furious told me yeah it gets bad okay so everybody stay tuned for that um that's episode five of thunder done episode six of days of thunder um at wcw thunder pod on twitter is the best way to keep up when the episodes are posted we post every two weeks uh doing every episode of thunder and then the pay-per-views as and when they happen uh i'm at the day to dave on twitter uh lee is at malone underscore seven one three we appreciate everybody who's been uh, listening in and sharing the the show around. We hope you you keep up with that. Share, you know, retweet when you see us tweet uh, the show links out, or share it with a friend. Tell them about how you know the podcast is much better than WCW Thunder, though that's not a hard <laughs> you know a high bar to clear, and it's certainly the bar is going to drop lower and lower as the podcast goes on. But you know, I'm I'm starting the tradition like I did in this show. We talked about it last on last week's episode, and I'm going to keep doing it now, where I'm just going to have a beer with this show because i need it at this point <laughs> um and yeah we'll see how my alcoholism develops as the show goes on uh, but yeah we really appreciate everybody listening in the downloads the clicks the, the tweets support everybody who's kind of chat to us irl about enjoying the show or their thoughts on stuff like that um so yeah we'll, we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of days with thunder and until then um best of luck everyone on your voyage down thunder road I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the sky